Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. a riddle to guess if you can who is the monster and who is the fan <laughs> nice <laughs> nice uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, i'm sorry brandon you're not a monster <laughs> what well, uh, i didn't realize that's what you were implying <laughs> i'm just it's the be- easiest thing to come to me with this one uh, so yes this is making a disney fan podcast we are talking about Hunchback of Notre Dame, my personal favorite Disney film, as we established in our first episode on here. Uh, and here at Making a Disney Fan Podcast, we like to uh, assign different uh, characters to our fellow podcasters. So I'm going to start with who I think my fellow podcasters are. Uh, best associate with or just <laughs> better associate with there's not a ton of characters in this one so i kind of see like a little bit of laverne in sarah wow it's just like some some like words <laughs> of wisdom but i don't know it's, i just kind of liked it but then again i was just kind of seeing all the just the three of us as the three gargoyles but that's just me yeah and you know seeing brandon as as jason alexander's hugo <laughs> it was the one-liners you know i i like jason alexander i can take that <laughs> uh so yeah sarah who do you think for the other two of us oh i was definitely saying gargoyles gargoyles so yeah mm. works for me all right and brandon um for Zach, I put Quasimodo, uh, mostly because it's your favorite movie, so I wanted to make you the star. Mm, that's uh, nice. And then, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then for Sarah, I chose Jolly the Goat. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Just feisty. Because you know? I'm the goat, greatest of all time. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. All right. So, yes, we have our th- our three podcasters here, uh, and we're going to talk about our memories of this film. And I'll probably go last because I probably have a way too many memories of this movie. So I'm going to start with Brandon. You have any memories of this film? Honestly, I don't. Um, I know I had it in our VHS collection, and I probably watched it, as is the case with a lot of these movies. But... Uh, but I, I didn't remember much about this movie. All right. Sarah. Same question. I don't remember seeing it as a kid. I just know that I did. Like, I know everything that mm. happens in the movie. Nothing was a surprise to me. But I don't remember the first time mm. I saw it or anything. I think I did actually watch it recently, too, as an adult. Because I went through and watched a lot of classics when Daisy was a baby. Mm. But yeah, no specific memories. All right. Um, 
This one came out in 96, so I was six years old. I'm not 100% sure if I saw it in theaters, but I'm pretty sure I did. Um, but that was also the summer that uh, my family went down to California. Like, we went for a nice big road trip, and we did go to Disneyland. And I have pictures of us seeing, like, the Hunchback of Notre Dame show. Oh, cool. That was showing in Disneyland. So it was really cool. So this was, like, in late July august or something like that that we were going there so this was just a few months after the movie came out and i'm pretty sure my parents had like the cassette of the soundtrack as well for it as well so we had that thing on repeat for this entire for majority of this trip and mm. i've just have gone in many different stages of my fandom of hunchback like again that I found that cassette as well later down the line and I had like the little Walkman thing and I was just like listen to this thing on repeat and just like picking out the little bits of the music here and there and just like okay and this is just really good here and there and then even when I and then I went a long stretch without it and then I remember at one point I saw like this watch mojo video of like top 10 bravest moments in Disney and then Hunchback made number one on it with Quasimodo's climax, climactic moment. And it's just, and I'm just like, think, sat there look, thinking about it. I'm just like, holy crap, that is, yeah, yeah. And then it just brought me to another whole level of like watching it again when I'm an adult and talking about it a number of times with people. And any time that somebody was just like saying like, oh, I, hadn't, I haven't seen that forever. I'm just like, do you want to? I have it on Blu-ray. Or DVD, or just like I have the <laughs> I have the the copy here. I swear there was a stretch there. I watched it like five times in a month at least. And I remember there was another time at at um, summer at uh, Camp Mountain View um, that I watched it at one point with a friend. And then I was going through the special features afterwards, and there wasn't a ton. And one of the things was just like, oh, here's the uh, the commentary thing, and I accidentally turned it on or whatever. And this is after I had watched the movie. And I watched it again immediately with commentary. And that was like one of the first movies I've watched the entire thing in commentary. And it was great. Who did the commentary? Uh, the directors. Okay. Yeah, not like uh it's not like an actor one. But uh, yeah, they had the directors on it and it's just like, and I learned a lot more than I would have in any other context. But it's just, yeah, I've gone through all these different stages of of how much I've fanboyed over Hunchback and just talked about it. And, and whenever I talk about about my the fact that I am a Disney fan, it always comes up where somebody's trying to make a good conversation with me and then they ask me, oh, what's your favorite Disney movie? And I always talk about this one and it always gets some, I get different reactions of, of it because not many people think about hunchback and then they ask me reasons and i give them all the reasons and it's just one of those movies that is, i can literally talk to somebody for two hours on well Makes i guess sense. that's what we're about to do eh? <laughs> yeah yeah uh were you able to get uh get daisy to watch this one no i watched it um oh she was in the room when i watched it actually i was gonna say i watched it after she went to bed but she was there she kind of off and on watched um mostly mm -hmm. she was doing her own thing though okay. she doesn't really sit through movies right now except for mm -hmm. Encanto. at that stage though 
Mind you, I can't exactly say that stage. My kids have never had that stage. Yeah. They always just sit transfixed. She does. Mm-hmm. She does with Encanto, and she actually just watched Beauty and the Beast this week and paid attention. But we watched it in two pieces, so I think that helped. Ah uh, yes. Okay, so that is our introduction for Hunchback. We're gonna move over to Brandon for our newbie recap. All right, what's up, guys? It's your boy here. Talk about the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Let's get into it. The story is. Alright, um, so there's this deformed dude, uh, he's a baby, and his parents, I mean, hey, it is what it is, right? Just a very, <laughs> very succinct way to describe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so there's this, like, deformed baby, and they got, like, Romani parents, and Frollo, he's like, is he like a Frollo. duke? Frollo is he like a duke or something? He's a judge. A uh, judge. A judge. This, this okay, version. yeah, he's like on this like murderous rampage, just killing all these Romani people, and then he kills the two parents, and he's gonna like he sees the baby, and he's gonna toss it in a well, and then like the the church guy, the archbishop, whatever, is like, no, you can't do that. So this like deformed baby grows up in the Notre Dame Cathedral. He's the bell ringer. Uh, he's stuck there uh, until one day there's a festival that the Romani people uh, hold. And I think it's called the Festival of Fools. And he goes out and he gets like exposed to the world for the monster that he is or whatever. And they like cheer him and then they like throw fruit at him, which is bad. Um, and there's like Esmeralda is one of like the Romani women. Uh, like, she's like the main love interest of the story. Love interest for everybody, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but she's like friends with Quasimodo. She helps him out, but she thinks he's wearing a mask and then like realizes he's not, and that's kind of what causes like a whole bunch of shit. But, um, whatever. She's cool. She's, she's down, she's down with Quasimodo. And then we got Phoebus. Phoebus, he, uh, he's this like, blonde hair blue eyed just adonis of a man in armor uh he's there to be police captain or something i think basically uh he yeah he works for frollo and he's like kind of bad because he's on frollo's like team but he's got a heart because he like also is in love with esmeralda um but whatever uh so quasimodo was basically kidnapped my question about that whole early segment though is like you see his parents and then you see quasimodo and like his parents are like esmeralda's skin tone right but he's white like red hair red haired white <laughs> but they use a good exposition song to open it up I'm not gonna lie it's a good song uh the notre dame song uh whatever um frollo is dark as hell oh, as a villain yeah um like out well, of believe me they, there would like, be great discussion on frollo yeah out of like i just i wrote down uh just of my thing is like of use to me when he's like until he's of use to me i'm like damn this guy's evil evil um yeah. like he is he's not good no um yeah 
so Festival of Fools. So he gets like attacked and they kind of like whatever and he runs in. And then there's this whole deal with like Esmeralda being chased. Like Frollo's chasing Esmeralda and then Phoebus like turns his back and then he gets like shot. But Esmeralda like nurses him back to health, which by the way, she doesn't nurse him back to health. His arrow wound just like completely disappears. Yeah. Um, but whatever. There's this whole deal. It's like a whole witch hunt. They capture Esmeralda and Frollo's going to like burn her at the stake until Quasimodo like swoops in and saves her and just like holds her up as like sanctuary which you know is actually kind of a good moment like it's kind of a baller moment the camera like camera work but like the well, art in this case yeah the 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 chosen camera work yeah like it, it might be animation but it still is camera work yeah it's it's super well done like that that shot is very uh oh. very powerful very good and then uh he like Lights the Notre Dame up with lava, which is way more lava than the pot you can see him boiling it in holds. It, it's like an obscene amount of lava. Anyway, Frollo goes mm-hmm. into the lava. Everybody's good. Phoebus ends up with Esmeralda, and uh, Quasimodo is okay with it. That's that's the Hunchback of Notre Dame, He's really. Like... Oh, there's also gargoyles. Yes. Um, well, that are like semi funny. But to be completely honest, they are such a stark contrast to the rest of the movie that they do not fit. Yeah. Like, they should not that, that be in this movie. That comes up a lot in, in... Yeah, they should not be in this film. In contrast to just how dark and serious, like, everything else is, whenever these gargoyles come into the screen, it's just like, oh, we're in this headspace now. Like, it's a complete, yeah. complete shift, and like I don't think it works. I also don't understand why they can come to life but can't have legs. Well, and then it's also, like, like it's never clear, are they really alive or is it his imagination? Because he's the only one that sees that's, it. That's my next question. Like, nobody ever sees these. But, like, they move around, which implies that they're alive. He's also really like, strong, though, so he could be moving them. True, true. Like, it's like, just... It could be, like, a Tyler Durden situation. Yeah, but... you just don't know. Like, are they really coming to life or... Like, he's been on his own his whole life. He could be a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah, have a Wilson moment. Yeah. 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 Um, but I just don't think they fit. Alive, not alive, mm-hmm. legs, no legs. I don't think the gargoyles fit. Um, I think... I think Esmeralda is overly sexualized for, like, the whole film. <laughs> no kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, that's, that's, a bit of an, that's a bit of an understatement. But it comes down to, like, just even how they animate her. Um, like, I just think everything about her is overly sexualized and it makes no sense. I also marked down that the goat smokes because the goat smokes a pipe at one point. Uh, I didn't think about that when I assigned that name to Sarah. But yeah, so I thought it was I just thought it was funny that the goat smoked. It's just one of those touches. I like I'm seeing I'm liking a lot of the animal sidekicks I find. Mm. And it's all because of dumb little traits like that. Yeah. Like, the goat smokes. Well, funny. There's no reason for there's, it. There's there's a story that I, I learned in regards to Jolly is that uh in early like script things or, or uh, screenings and stuff like that, like test screenings with executives and stuff like that. They're just like, there was one moment where they're just like, 
I like this 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 character here, like the goat, and just like, okay, how much screen time does he have? Oh, about this much, and they're like, double it, double it, nice, <laughs> yeah, and it works. That that's the comedy that works in this context, and far more than the gargoyles is the jolly gar- comedy. Yeah. So the festival of fools. I'm just gonna start out by saying that is like the dumbest festival in the world. First off. The main event is a who's uglier competition. Like, what even is that? Um, I would never want to attend that festival, but sure, whatever. Um, the practices of medieval times is yeah very different. Uh, I would like to point out that Quasimodo talks about like, oh, I gotta sneak around, I gotta do this, I gotta be safe so no one sees. And then he goes out in nothing but a cape and a hood. As his only cover. Like, there's no mask. There's no nothing. He's the ugliest dude in the world, according to this movie. And he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to throw my hood up and put a cape on and stroll around. That makes me think of Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. <laughs> like, I what just... if I put my put my put the, the thing on like this? Yeah, I, I just... I don't, I don't get it. That's, like, that's, that's stupid. Just stupid. He's, like, the most recognizable person in the world. Which actually is a good point on him being recognizable because when he like gets revealed to the crowd at the festival immediately someone's like that's the bell toller from the notre dame how do they know that they have never seen this man before he stands like 300 feet up or however tall the notre dame is like he's at the very top of the building and he never leaves so like how how do these people immediately know that he's the bell ringer from Notre Dame? They must I, just be aware they, of him, yeah. so they assume. Because, yeah, like, yeah, like, like he, he must of have, him or have seen. Well, he must have been seen within the cathedral as well, with and because because the cathedral is accessible to people. Yeah, and then again with medieval times. There's a lot of gossip. Yeah. It does make like, it look like he's pretty much it, kept upstairs, though. Yeah. my it, it is true. Yes. Yeah. My assumption is just they're aware that he exists, so they could be seeing and him then, for the first time, but they, they do yeah, the like They know the but, body details, but have never seen exactly. that kind of deal. Yeah. Well, the, the types of grotesquerie that he exhibits is not yeah. something that, would, that people would, all, would not be aware of. It's like the travel. It's like the concept of like the traveling freak show, like uh, the bearded woman kind of, kind of concept. Hmm. Yeah, I can. Where, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, they're literally right that. in front of Notre Dame itself. So yeah, it, the the people that would be at that location would far more likely be aware that this being exists. Yeah, that's fair. It just seemed a little weird and out of nowhere when he's never had human interaction outside of Frollo, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll, yeah. We'll concede that. Yeah, that's fair. I think the uh, like the Romani guy in the mask, I think he takes off his mask at the end of the movie, but like he's kind of like, like a narrator. Mm-hmm. He, he really reminded me of the narrator in Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just, yeah. just as like a connecting two dots in like my head kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's that's really what he felt like. Just like the extra guy to talk directly to the screen. Sure. I but this it, one I did, it, did cool. it so much better. Yeah. Than than the Aladdin one because it was the beginning and the conclusion 
at the same time. And yeah. then and then with throughout the Bells of Notre Dame sequence, it was so good. Whereas the Aladdin one was pretty much just starting it. And being really and, racist. Well, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> but, and then... Yeah. And then as soon as he said a dark night describing Jafar is just like, okay, and now we're just doing the movie. Yeah. Whereas this one is like, there was some clear narration and then the, ca- and then the character of the narrator was still part of it. Yeah. Sort yeah. of a chaotic neutral character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the festival of fools is just a weird, a weird sequence. Uh, yep. I would like to point out that, Esmeralda does pole dancing. Yes, in this she movie? does. I was noticing why? that too. <laughs> like why? <laughs> like what is what? Why? In a children's oh yeah whatever. Okay. Well, it's funnier if you consider the context of the year that this movie came out, and and the person who voices uh, Esmeralda, which is Demi Moore. Yeah. Demi Moore also in '96 had another film, Showgirls. No, not showgirls. Striptease. Striptease, damn it. Well, to be fair... Neither are very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, yeah, so pole dancing, dumb. Festival, stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, this is kind of where we get our first like major theme intro, though, at the Festival of Fools. Because this is mm-hmm. where, like... Esmeralda dances and kind of makes a fool of Frollo and does the whole like justice thing, which is like a good a good theme. It was obviously like another form of like French Revolution kind of like theme going into it, but that's kind of like the first hit of like a real theme we get in this beyond like sad boy quasi needs some love. Um, that's like that's a theme and that's fair, but that's like the whole movie. But like that's like the whole revolution part is where we really get into like where i think they're like digging into their message um i did not know you can't arrest people in a church <laughs> maybe that's not a rule anymore I don't but think at so. least then uh, it was actually there has been uh some stuff recently i remember seeing a story in regards to uh somebody uh not being able to get arrested during a, a church service and it was a refugees in the Nether- netherlands so in response to um, them not being able not being able to arrest them during a service, they had an ongoing service that was never stopping. Oh, mm. interesting. Yeah, I don't think it's a thing prevent, necessarily yeah. here, but in yeah, other places. like you think I yeah. could go like, you know, like rob a Target or oh, half Target? I wish you. Were and then just go hide in Heritage rob Park. Rob Walmart, and then yeah, just like burst into Southlands or something, be like. Pfft. Sanctuary. Try it. I'm just good as long as as long as I never leave Southlands. Yeah, go steal from the Walmart Zach worked at, so he can like vouch for you, and then go yeah. charge into the church. Try it out. See what happens. See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, you can't arrest her in a church. Frollo sniffs her neck, which is kind of gross. Yes. Um. Frollo is so scary. It's just really gross, yeah. but we get there, like, a little later. It didn't really click to me then, but um, at this point, I did think, like, this dude probably needs to get laid. Um, and then I see later that he's got a very specific, re- like, person for that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Anyway, she's in like trouble, and the church guy's like, "There's only one thing you can do," and of course it's pray. The most Christian answer in the world. <laughs> I mean, like nothing, not a wrong answer. Of course, it's just, it's just funny. It's the yeah. most Christian answer in the world. Any problem in the world, pray. Not wrong, but funny. <laughs> but at the uh, very least, that character was a positive light on the uh, for for the church at that. Oh, point. Oh yeah, for sure, he's a good character. Which, exactly, like, but uh, it shows showcased the positives and negatives. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. the same time. Oh yeah, no, he's a good character. It's My... just, it was just mm-hmm. funny for me. That's a good point. That is true. I think it's just his, his holy, like his, yeah, he has holy convictions to himself. So he considers himself above him. That's his fault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Talking about needing to get laid. uh, Quasimodo takes Esmeralda up. And he like shows her the church, and he like shows her the like all the bells, and he's got names for all the bells, and all the names are female names. He, he like, you know, with the bells, you know that, right? Like, there's no one else. He's old, so he's man's got needs, even Quasimodo, and all he's the only bells. twenty. <laughs> Still. 20. He had to go through his awkward teenage years, Zach. His mm-hmm. awkward teenage years with nothing with whatever. What are they like? Anna Maria, Barbara Maria or something. And Sophia. Sophia Maria. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does. He does or has done unspeakable things to those bells. I'm pretty sure. Um, that is a very interesting perspective, Brandon. <laughs> to his credit, though. Homie knows parkour. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The whole From time the he's like beginning. jumping down the side of the building. All I could think of is that office meme with like parkour, parkour, <laughs> parkour, parkour. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you live in the singular building and you know every single inch of it. Yeah. Yeah, you probably spend uh, a lot of time exploring. And have the arm strength that yeah. that man has. And he's clearly got like superhuman strength or resistance because he survives heavy fall damage. Yeah. Like, he jumps mm-hmm. from very high up, and it's just not a problem for him. Like, he's maybe a bit of a superhero. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so, Frollo starts singing a song, which I will admit is a very good song. <laughs> this movie has amazing... I mean, it's Alan Menken. song or... He he. Yeah. Uh, Frollo sings in two songs. Are you talking the villain song or villain the, song. the intro? Villain song. Okay. Mia okay. Culpa. Yes. Yeah. yeah the... Um it is it is actually a very good song. Yeah. Uh, I mean that is high praise also, coming from you. You don't usually hold high regard for Disney music. Yeah. yeah. Also creepy. Yeah. I was going to say unfortunately this was the moment my brain went he also wants to bang Elsmeralda. Very much. Yeah. Like it's everyone but... like Elsmeralda is just piling up simps like behind mm-hmm. her like they're lined up now like 
I don't know what kind of magic she. Well, she actually is kind of magic. Not gonna lie. Um, but that was the moment where I was like, no way, no way. He is also in love with Esmeralda. Whatever. Um, well, he's not in love. He's in lust. Yeah. Lust. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely lust. But it's. Yeah, it's like he's also wanting to win her affection. Also, the song is legitimately like, if I can't have her, then she will burn in hell. You know, like... Oh, yeah. Damn, yeah. dude. Like, this... you need to chill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was bad. Um, he burns down some houses. Well, first he tries to get Phoebus to burn down a house, and he won't. And then he's magically got another torch. Who knows where that came from? It was just like, camera another away. Another soldier puts it out and by the time it comes back he's already got it like they could have animated that small little second but whatever uh, he they actually did he grabbed it from another soldier oh do you see it yeah okay then I, I definitely missed it i i thought it just cut back to him and he already had it and i was like of course he's got another torch anyway that house went up so quick <laughs> yep like yeah scary quick middle like, ages thatch roofs i don't think that's how that works quick yeah. but <laughs> um, I was going to take some time to crap on the idea that the gargoyles have a poker set, but I am, I've already talked about the gargoyles, so we'll just move right. Also, he smokes a hot dog. Let's just point that out. He smokes a hot dog. I yeah, love that whole it. sequence. Gar- gargoyles. It's, it's a funny sequence. It's just, yeah. And to be fair, after the burning of Paris leading up to the heartbreak of, of Quasimodo, there needed to be a little bit of lightheartedness yeah. to keep the kids kind of happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, because this thing is still it is rated G. A kids movie. Somehow, it is a kids movie. Yeah, true. We may um, forget that, but it is for kids, technically. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe at the moment, but the Court of Miracles just felt a little racist to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's Disney, so it probably is. Yeah, this is definitely, definitely. But when they all get arrested, they arrest the goat. <laughs> that's my favorite part they arrest the goat of all things <laughs> i think it's just like there's one one uh uh like a, a soldier or whatever that is just like oh this thing you know banged into me i'm gonna grab it yeah <laughs> that's funny um so yeah they take her away they tie her to the thing they're gonna light her on fire Quasimodo has this like Samson moment or whatever. He's like, ah, he's gonna pull down the building. I guess he just breaks all the chains, and then he like swings down. He grabs her, and in the time it took to light the fire, between all of the shots between Quasi and her, she is perfectly fine right up until he grabs her, and then as soon as he grabs her, she is gone. Like one, when did she pass out? When did this occur? Like, she was totally scared, and she's like, no, no. And then he swings and grabs her, and she's completely unconscious. Like, nothing happened to her. Um, whatever. Uh, talked about the lava. It was just way too much lava. It made no sense. They had to include that imagery, though, because that was directly from Victor Hugo's. Yeah. uh, thing. So the the imagery of of the of the of the fire floods of Notre Dame was definitely ex- d- directly extracted from the the novel. Interesting. That's fair. It just seemed like way too much. Is 
Any- and and the lava is uh, is molten lead, is what lead. it is. Oh wow! But yeah, Philo falls and he dies, and then everybody who like just just like abused this poor man Quasimodo is all like, "Yeah, you cool now? We all good?" And everyone's happy, and for some reason Quasimodo is no longer in love with Esmeralda because he's happy for the other two. He's just a really I, good wingman. Yeah, I guess it's <laughs> it's not the greatest ending by by any means. Um, it's just kind of like abrupt and like nothing happens, I guess. Um. So. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like the movie is trying to be for adults, but fails. Um, I definitely think it falls short. Uh, I, I honestly think it's a piss poor representation of the Romani people. Uh, I'll, I'll, I've, I've been saying Romani, but the entire movie, they're called gypsies, which is a slur. Uh, like, actual slur. So that's just... Not great for a rep- representation. Uh, does this movie yeah. on Disney Plus? Does it have one of the pre movies? No. no, okay. No, it doesn't. So. It doesn't. No, I didn't think it does. But it it honestly it honestly should knowing like how like damaging the term gypsy can be for yeah. like, certain people. Yeah, like it's should. interesting that it doesn't. And it's interesting. Yeah, that doesn't have one. But yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah, but yeah, I guess it didn't. That's, uh, yeah, those are really my thoughts about the movie. The ending's kind of dumb. I will say the animation was beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, very, mm-hmm. very well animated. I think, what was the last? What Pocahontas. Was the, Pocahontas. Way better than Pocahontas. Yeah, way better than Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Leagues ahead. Um, the music was also pretty good. There were some songs that I, I didn't care about, but there's some also, like, bangers. So, pretty good. Um, yeah. That's the newbie recap. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to switch it over to me with Deep Dive Disney. So first, I'm going to address the, what you were just talking about a little bit with uh, Quasimodo being okay with it, with with them, and Frollo as well, where I really like the the three loves of, of or the three men that fall in love with Esmeralda, where... But the here's the thing that separates the three of them and why she ends up with Phoebus at the end is Frollo falls in lust or love with her and he's convinced that she is a demon. Yeah. And, and that leads him down his path. And then Quasimodo falls in love with her because she's the, he sees her as an angel. And the, this pers- first person to show him actual kindness. She's the first woman who's like, ever talked to him, so he's he's well, first definitely person, gonna really, fall in love with really her. That's really talking to him. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she's the first person. But then Phoebus sees her and sees her as a person, and it it goes also with the with the whole concept of agency of of her choices and what she considers and what she, how she chooses for what her agency is and what her romantic feelings are. And Phoebus throughout the entire film has proven, like proved himself capable of earning her love. 
like from the very first interaction that he has with her as a uh, as um, a street dancer or whatever and like defending her with even with subtly and giving her back coins and then sanctuary afterwards and like in in the th in the cathedral where she doesn't declare sanctuary he declares sanctuary for her and then he tries to keep an eye on her and and does all these things to prove that he is is in actuality a good man and to because initially when you look at this movie you don't want to root for phoebus right because when when you first watch this one you don't yeah. want to root for phoebus because quasimodo is our main man but it also goes to show why quasimodo is better than frollo with the acceptance of her choice yeah with the mm -hmm. acceptance that she is capable of making her own decisions. He was hurt, but in the end, he chose to accept what she wanted. And that made it all the be much, that, that much better. So, like, when I look at, at these memes or whatever talk, with, like, actual posters, like, like what, what the posters actually mean, and shows Hunchback and saying, nice guys, finish last, and I'm just like, that's not the point. Yeah, it's almost like the that's, point that's is... It's not nice guy's syndrome. It's almost like, like the point is that men should just respect women's choices. Exactly. I and don't know. Quasimodo does, and that's what one of the things that makes Quasimodo great. Yeah. Is that he is... Like, yes, she was his angel, but she is still a person. Yeah. He takes no for an so, answer. Exactly. That's good. And But he still wants to be her friend. He still wants her in his life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, next thing I want to talk about is the music of this movie. We talked about the opening song with the Bells of Notre Dame. Honestly, probably the best opening song of a Disney movie. Way up there. Like, the only thing that compares with this, with this movie, opening song is Circle of Life. Mm. But this one accomplishes so much more. Yeah, it's more it storytelling. accomplishes exposition like huge amounts yeah. of exposition and with so such lyrical like discussion on what it is and what the deep understandings of these characters like like the initial introduction of frollo even where it's just like he saw corruption everywhere except within it's just like that line alone is just like okay we know the basics of him yeah and so it's just the bells of Notre Dame and it's just so good and it's just you feel this intensity and you feel these characters and it's just and then the narration just works with it. It's just so good. And then you go with go with the other classic uh, Disney trope, which is the we, we've discussed this a number of times now, and that's the Disney I want songs. Yeah. And again, I have to say that this one is the is definitely has the best I want song just for the simplicity of how great the vocals are, but yet how small the the request is. Hmm. Like, like Cinderella wanted, you know, her dreams to come true and stuff, but Quasimodo, he, he just wanted one day out outside the cathedral, and he'd be okay with the rest of his life inside if he had one day uh, to be normal. It's just like, oh my goodness. And then to add on top of it, 
two other characters essentially get their own I Want songs and to showcase their inner struggles as well. Like, Esmeralda has God Help the Outcasts to showcase what she's feeling inside for her people hmm. around her. And it's beautiful and showcases the cathedral's almost holiness, like the, the holiness of, of Notre Dame from the inside. and But it's really crazy that it's coming from the perspective of a non-Christian person in this con in this context. And yeah, you get the I Want song from Esmeralda, but then you also go to the song Hellfire with his I Want song, with Frollo's uh, I Want song, which is an amazing villain song because, again, it showcases the inner turmoil that is going on within this person. And it's just the, the musical nature of this film is just so on point. And the songs, uh, uh, except for one, are entirely useful towards the plot and the progression of the plot and the progression of the characters. Like, grant, actually, granted, Feast of, uh, Festival of Fools... Uh, or the Feast Feast of Fools song and A Guy Like You, those ones might not drive it quite as much, but out of all the other songs, like there's tons of songs in this movie and they all progress it and expose all these different parts of it, which is just something that I hadn't seen in a couple of other musical parts. Like, like I think I remember saying it for Little Mermaid and like Under the Sea doesn't really accomplish a lot and th things like that and and there's not as many musical numbers in some of these old some of these other renaissance films but hunchback has a whole bunch of musical numbers and it's because it's a lot to to contain in this film all right so yeah that's that's me talking about the music of this mm -hmm. movie <laughs> the other thing that i really want to talk about is like the artistic nature of this and then the lighting and camera work that is done for this film is just is just so well done like the they capture the majesty of of Notre Dame and the iconic nature like because you can consider Notre Dame at, in itself as a character mm -hmm. of this film so that's mm -hmm. and then to, to capture it so perfectly like if you I have not gone and seen it cuz I've never been to Europe but from my understanding is that they is just it's perfect. Yeah, what they how they represented Notre Dame, um, but then like you also have like tracking shots and, and zoom outs and zoom zoom ins with with the camera work and it's just uh, it's so well done. And my absolute favorite shot in this film is uh, is when Quasimodo is chained up at the end and. He gets told the line from Laverne is just saying like, you know, we're, we're just made of stone. We thought you were made of something stronger. And then it's just like, and then he has this moment where he like looks up and his face goes into the light and then the music just goes perfectly with it. And, uh, it's just such a like pulse, uh, building moment with the film. Like, I'm sorry if I ramble way too much on this. But it's just, <laughs> uh, we it's we knew just the we knew what we were getting into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just like those those tracking shots are just so well done. Um, 
So next thing I want to talk about is like the subject matter of this film is the most mature thing Disney had ever done and has ever done. Like when we're talking about religious persecution and genocide and and persec like again it's just the manipulations that go around with with a, with an abuser at the same time and the misuse of power for almost like maybe not not quite personal gains but it's just like for self-perceived righteous uh gains i don't know it's just yeah it's just really deep stuff when you really think about it because anytime i talk about this movie with like an adult afterwards and they're just like oh why do you like about it i'm just like or what do you like about it and they're just like when you watch this movie when you're older it has far more layers to it right when as opposed to when you're a kid yeah so you can look into it and see the different works of it the different levels and and intricacies of of these people and the and the time frame and time period as well um so then that moves me on to the villain of this movie with like judge claude frollo he is definitely the most complex and intriguing villain disney has done in my opinion where you can see motivations and though not justifiable, you can see the progression in his head. Where uh, this makes me think of like, um, there's an episode in Firefly, right? Where Mal, like Nathan Fillion's character, talks about like this, this villain. And he's, he's like, oh, I met him. And, and we're not going to go up against him because he's this guy who believes in what he's doing. Mm who is a firm believer in in what he's doing, and that makes him the most dangerous. And that's what is with Frollo, is that he be firmly believes that he is the good guy. Yeah. And that is what makes the best villains hmm. in cinema, is the ones who have their motivations, have their reasonings, don't believe they're evil. They think they're the good guys in their own story. And you see that. But then he starts to unravel with his lust, which, in my opinion, his lust is not his his greatest sin. His greatest sin is his pride. Yeah. Because his pride d doesn't allow for his lust. Like you even see it in his in the lyrics of his of of his song. Like his opening lyrics is going, um, you know, I. You know I am so much purer than the vul vulgar, weak, licentious crowd. And it's just like, of of my virtue, I am justly proud. It's just like, you're not supposed to be proud of your virtue. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just having this character who has all these different things going on. And then even in Hellfire, there's a moment where uh, the guard opens the door and has light behind him. And it's just like, the gypsy has escaped. She's gone. He has this moment as a villain to and this is right after he's like like god help me show me a sign help me figure this out and saying that she's gone so he has a choice 
he has a choice in that moment where he could let her go and forget about her, just accept that she's gone, or do what he did. So it's like, Frollo, in that moment, it almost seemed like he had the, ch had the chance to do better and had the tr had the the crossroads to do better to be a better person it almost seemed like a, a sign from god like the the guard had a white light behind him so it almost seemed like a a moment of of divine intervention in that uh artistic style for him and it's just like but nope he chose this this is the path he chose he is a man and he chose the paths that he is taking and that makes him like so such a deep character as opposed to i don't know uh jafar where it's just like i just want this i just want this power because i deserve power and no frollo is just like i want to get rid of these people because i don't think that they belong in the perf in the perfect world that god justifies this being yeah and it's just like it's yeah frollo is way up there for complexities yeah and and i just absolutely love it like, yeah he's it there's so much yeah he's a great villain yeah and and that just goes with like a, what i've also talked about with hunchback is that the fact just the balls that the, the creators or the executives or whatever had of just having the idea that they could adapt Hunchback of Notre Dame, a Victor Hugo novel, into a kid's movie. Yeah, like, I was t talking to Brandon. I tried listening to the to an audiobook version of Hunchback, and it was not easy. It, it was difficult, and I did <laughs> I could not go get through it. Yeah. It was... I... He is really dry. I love Les Mis <laughs> more than most things in the world. I cannot read the book. Yeah, this... I got 200 pages in Les Mis and I just yeah. couldn't keep going. Man, Victor Hugo can go on and on about boring things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he could. But then he, at the same time, he built intricate characters. He does absolutely that you like that you get every aspect of them, like the the ta like the the characterization of of the of the bishop and Jean Valjean is just oh yeah so good and Javert but I'm just oh, like man. man can we get past the bishop now please exactly <laughs> so so this goes into the concept of an adaptation being better than its source material hmm. in certain regards it can be for the story for the medium it is telling it in to get the the point across of what hunch of what hunchback or in that case Les Mis is just like get these these things to a wider audience that otherwise wouldn't experience them and right. under and get a full understanding of them. So it's in, in this regard, I really love like this is just a great telling of, of Hunchback of Notre Dame. And then yes, there's not many characters of in it, but each of these characters, you can get a firm understanding of what drives them, hmm. what motivates them, what, leads to their decisions yeah each of them like you got you got quasimodo and you got esmeralda you got frollo and phoebus those are the big four in this movie like these are the four characters but you get 
big beliefs on these on these characters and it's just i really enjoy that aspect of it so then the last thing i'm going to talk about for this for this movie is one thing that i like about it that i talk about in a christian aspect which I love looking at secular films and finding the Christian methods, uh, uh, messages, Christian messages in them. And the one thing that I love to look at this one is the, where you feel the presence of God in this, in the context of this film is not in the grandeur of the molten lead. It's not in the righteousness of Frollo. You feel God's presence, as I feel it, in the in the gentleness of two different moments. In the gentleness of Sin of Esmeralda, when she re releases him and says sorry, and it's just like you hear the angelic voices, you just see the gentleness that she shows to him in that moment, and he feels it, and that's how she, he feels that she's his angel. But you feel God's presence through her but then the second moment is at the conclusion when he when quasimodo comes out into the light and the crowd is apprehensive around him and the little girl like walks up and embraces him like like feels him and like embraces him and i'm not gonna lie i have cried at that moment because it's just so beautiful and just because you can see like the moment where he's just like freaking out because he doesn't know what to do about it. And then just the simple embrace of a child. Yeah. To uh, somebody who's, for lack of a better word, untouchable. Mm -hmm. Well, and has always been told that he's unlovable. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's where I see the, the presence of God in this in this film mm -hmm. is. And there's even like actual scripture about like, about feeling God's. Where where do you hear God in the the uh, torment of the maelstrom that is experienced in the fires of of the of a fire of a forest fire or in the gentle whisper? Yeah, that you hear on the wind. It's Elijah. Exactly. So that's what I get from this from this film mm -hmm. is is that moment with Elijah. Nice. All right, I think I'm didn't go. I, I I went longer than I usually do, so not as long as I thought you would, to, though. Pretty solid. Yeah, I probably could talk more, but I'd still. It's okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna move it over to Sarah for fun facts and trivia. Yeah. All right. First fact, very obvious. Talked about it already. This movie is based on Victor Hugo's novel. Surprise. Um, between the novel and the movie, Frollo's job was changed. So in the book, he's an archdeacon, but Disney didn't want to offend religious groups by making an archdeacon the villain, so they made him a judge instead. Um, probably. I'd say that's probably the right call. Safe, yeah. Um, the archdeacon in the movie is a much more pleasant character <laughs> than Frollo. <laughs> um, they also removed a lot of religious content to make the movie, um, so they didn't want it to just be fully a religious movie. However, 
This is their 34th full-length animated feature, and the two songs, God Help the Outcast and Heaven's Light slash Hellfire, contain more references to the words Lord and God than all 33 of the previous films combined. So they still have a lot yeah, of Yeah, the closest stuff. thing they had before was, was the Ave Maria sequence in Fantasia. Yeah, lots and lots of religious content, obviously. Um, they almost didn't have the opening song at all. <laughs> they originally planned to start it with a spoken exposition and a flashback montage, um, but it didn't satisfy Jeffrey Katzenberg. So they said that they felt something was missing and asked Steven Schwartz and Alan Menken to create a new song for the sequence. And you know if you ask Alan Menken to do it, it's going to be really good. Uh, the thing is that these the directors of this one were the ones who did Beauty and the Beast, so they were trying to do the same thing that they did with that one. Yeah. Because it worked there. But there's so much more exposition required for this one. Yeah. Um, so mostly the singing goes to Clopin, voiced by Paul Candle, who says he recalls that we were about a third of the way through the process of making the movie when they actually finished writing this song. So they made the right choice. It's a very good song. Mm-hmm. Um, Quasimodo's on-screen sidekicks are the gargoyles named Victor, Hugo, and Laverne. Um, and in the novel, Quasimodo often talks to the gargoyles at the cathedral. So they didn't just make the gargoyles f- just for fun. It comes from the book. Um, they're probably mm. not as funny in the book, mm-hmm. but yeah. like not as out of place. But he would pass whole hours crouching in front of the statues, talking to them. It says that, well, the direct quote is, he sometimes passed whole hours crouching before one of these statues in solitary conversation with it, and that's from chapter three. So they obviously made it into some comic relief by expanding on that, but he does talk to gargoyles in the book as well. They originally offered the role of Quasimodo to somebody else. Somebody from The Princess Bride. Carrie Ells? Mandy Patinkin. Oh. Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know, realize he could sing. Uh, I don't know if he would have been the singing voice or just the speaking voice. It didn't say. Um, he said yes, but he ran into trouble. Um, there'd already been several live action movies of Hunchback, including a 1939 one starring Charles Lofton as Quasimodo. And he's Mandy Patinkin's favorite actor, so he wanted to emulate that performance. But they wanted Quasimodo to be friendlier in this one. Um, and Patinkin said they had their own Disney needs. So <laughs> it wasn't what he wanted to do. So they got, um, how do you say his name, Zach? Tom. Tom Hulse. Hulse. So that's who they ended up getting. Academy Award nominee Tom Hulse. O- only real known like thing that he's recognizable for was for Amadeus. Oh. Mm. Nice. Yeah, he was Mozart. Mm, I didn't even realize. I haven't seen Amadeus in a really long time. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, it's not one you usually just put in. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So back in the mid-1990s, the favorite technique for Disney was still hand-drawn animation, but they had been using computer effects since The Great Mouse Detective, so they used a special program to generate the large crowds of people in this movie. The Feast of Fools scene and the climax have digital Parisians. There's six different body types, male and female, created to pull this off, and each individual bystander is given a unique set of motion instructions, and they're randomly drawn from a set of 72 predetermined movements, such as clapping and jumping. So those are more computer-generated, mm-hmm. but then the other stuff yeah, is Yeah, if you actually drawn. pay attention to them, they, they don't age well. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still, like, really, really, you know, 
cool yeah. that they tried this. Yeah. It was just a number of years later, then you get, like, the, the Lord of the Rings battle sequences with the, the, the huge armies and stuff. Yeah. Mm, yeah. All right. Now I'm going to say some Italian words, and I'm probably going to say some wrong, so sorry. Um, All right. Let the butchering begin. <laughs> composed by Giacomo Puccini between 1899 and 1900, Tosca is now one of the world's most popular operas. Act one ends with a song that's guaranteed to give goosebumps called Te Te Diem, it belongs to the villain Scarpia, who sings about his diabolical plans with a chorus of churchgoers. Almost a century later, Disney gives us Hellfire. And Te Diem from this opera was the inspiration for Hellfire. Hmm. Which I think is cool. cool. I mean, no wonder it's so good if they're taking it from a very famous opera. Because that's well, yeah. mm. the big. The, yeah, you, you throw throw in the Gregorian or in Latin chants mm. that is throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. is just, oh, it's beautiful. Man, yeah. Um, obviously, this movie deals with taboo subjects from sexual fantasies to eternal damnation. And there's also a scene where, as we mentioned, the female lead pole dances. Um, so, obviously, Disney executives didn't think that the MPAA ratings board would apply their general admission stamp. Um, screenwriter Tab Murphy expected a PG rating. He said, it felt like a PG movie to everyone, including everybody who signed off on it, from Michael Eisner to Roy Disney. But they m- rated it G. Hmm. And Murphy suggested, maybe it was the gargoyles. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, think, I think the the gargoyles definitely brought it like yeah. down. Yeah, they still should have rated it PG. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue about that. Yeah, so it may have defied the odds and got the G rating, but many parents still chose not to let their kids watch it, including Jason Alexander. He didn't let his kids watch it at first. Um, he said, Disney would have us believe this movie's like the Ringling Bros for children of all ages, but I won't be taking my four-year-old. I won't expose him to it. Not for another year. So maybe a five-year-old. <laughs> Which is interesting. But, yeah. you know, setting boundaries, that's good. So it was released on June 21st, 1996 and got considerable considerable criticism from Hugo scholars as well as from Hugo's family. Um, They wrote a letter to the French newspaper Liberation. Um, It was his great-great-grandchildren, Charles, Jeannie, Sophie, Adele, and Leopoldine. That was quite the name. I don't even remember reading that name when I wrote this down. Um, They dismissed the movie as vulgar commercialization by unscrupulous men. So, they didn't really like it. Um, A particular bone of contention for them was the aggressive marketing campaign. They said, the story used in this film is borrowed from the work of Victor Hugo, but his name is not even mentioned on the posters that now cover the planet. So they were pretty mad. I could concede that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. Definitely, there should have been, like, based on the work by Victor Hugo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, Of course, there are Easter eggs. When Quasimodo sings out there, if you watch in the streets, you can see Belle wandering the streets of Paris, and she's got her book in her hand. Um, You can see a peasant shaking out Aladdin's magic carpet, and you can see Pumbaa. Oh, nice. Yeah, being dragged away on a platter. Yeah. (laughs) So, you gotta look in the crowds for some other characters. (laughs) 
So in order to complete the monstrous task of hand drawing each frame, hand drawing, like that's crazy. Disney used mm-hmm. 620 artists to make this one. This included no. 72,000 pencils and 1.2 million hours of work. Like, absolutely insane. They were rolling in the Lion King money at this point. Yeah, so just, they had the they had the money, the dollars to spend. Man, yeah. so much work. Um, another thing that made its animation so unique was the new feature animation building at Walt Disney Studios. So yeah, they had money. They were they were going for it. Um, it was the first movie to be produced at the new studio, which also produced The Lion King and Pocahontas at a similar time. And the new building and the 620 artists made this film incredible. Um, the film was set in Paris, so it only makes sense for some of the crew to travel over to Paris to get a sense of authenticity in regards to the atmosphere and the architecture of the French capital city. In fact, about 100 artists and animators made around 10 minutes of footage for the film in the Disney Animation Studio in Paris. So, that's kind of cool. No wonder they got a good, like, coverage of Notre Dame, because they obviously went there. Mm -hmm. Um, The producer, along with other members of the crew, traveled to London to record with the English National Opera Company and a 100-year-old pipe organ. Which is very cool. Um, in the flashback in the opening number, Jim Cummings voices three or four of the characters in quick succession. Um, so he has an impressive vocal range, but he actually uses the same voice for all of these characters. So if you pay attention, it's really noticeable. They just all have the same voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Demi Moore, after doing this, became the highest paid voice actor in Hollywood. She got a million dollars for voicing Esmeralda. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Mary Wicks, who was the voice of Laverne, completed all but six of her lines before she died in 1995 from complications after a hip surgery. So Jane Withers filled in the last few lines. And there were... Yeah, she she was on on Sister Act. Yeah. So... You remember that one? Well, of course you remember Sister Act. Yeah. That's a pretty unforgettable movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Tony J plays Frollo. But there were four other actors that they considered before him. And we've talked about a couple of them being considered for other movies as well. Do we want to take a few guesses? Well, Patrick Stewart. Yep. Uh, John Lithgow. Nope. Oh. We've got um, a cannibal. Okay, Anthony Hopkins. We've got a great wizard. Ian McKellen? Yeah. And then I don't actually know who the fourth one is, so I'm not going to give you any hints. Derek Jacoby? Jacoby? I don't know who he is. Yeah, who knows? Any of them, I'm sure, would have been great, but Tony J. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. The voice work of Tony J. in this one. Wow. And I love the, I love the quote that you get from him afterwards and why he, cho- like he really wanted to do this. I don't think I have that in here, that so you can share it. Is... Um, Working on a Disney film in this in this capacity is your bid for immortality. Oh, absolutely. It's really funny that the movie Daisy asked to watch this week is Beauty and the Beast. Because I didn't mm-hmm. fully pay attention while then she was watching it, and suddenly I'm like, whoa, that's Frollo. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he's... The voice is just... 
Oh, yeah. So great. Also, a very brief... The regalness of it. Yeah, very brief villain in that movie, but a good villain. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrifying in that brief moment. Yes, very much so. Uh, so they actually originally considered an even more tragic ending than what they got. I mean, Frollo dying isn't really tragic, but it's pretty dark. Um, he would have fatally stabbed Quasimodo, and then Esmeralda was going to kill him and push him off the ledge of the tower... And then Phoebus would then find them, and Quasimodo's last wish would be to ring the bells one last time. That would have destroyed me. That would have been a way better ending. (laughs) The ending we got was trash compared to that. I don't think they could end it this way for a kid's movie, though. Uh, I don't know. I think that's perfect. (laughs) Do we know how the book ends? Zach, do you know how the book ends? Oh, yeah. Is it dark like that? Or even darker. Worse. Oh, interesting. Tell us. I know Esmeralda gets hanged in the book. Yes. Ah. She gets hanged and put into a tomb. And Quasimodo breaks into the tomb uh, afterwards and dies of starvation holding her her dead body. Yikes. And then later on, it's excavated, uh, trying to see it. And then they look at this grotesque set of bones clutching onto this other set of bones. And when they try to move it, his bones turn to dust. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, they yeah, definitely dark. made the right choice not using that. <laughs> Jeez. Um, okay, so still would have been better than what we got. <laughs> um, according, well, they end it openly because they do a sequel. Yeah, not saying blah. it's good, but they do a sequel. <laughs> that. Blah. They. The sequel looks like a 12-year-old drew it. (laughs) I feel like Disney is always going to have some sort of openness to an ending so they can always keep making money off of these stories. Yeah, it was just such a lame ending. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying they're like, well, this is going to be great. Let's make sure we can make more. Because if Quasimodo had died, that's it. Yeah, that's true. Um, According to Tony J's niece, Nat J., Tony J couldn't actually hit the final note in Hellfire at first, so he asked Alan Menken to lower the key, and Alan Menken said, nope, figure it out. So he had to take <laughs> voice lessons. And I read that That's fact wild. I read that fact before I got to the end of that song, so I was like paying attention to listen to him sing it. It's not like crazy high, but for no. a man But for his for his vocal range? Yeah. For what way his yeah, voice he's got is, a he's very clearly low, like a bass. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. I mean, he sings it beautifully, of course. Um, oh, yeah. So, as we know, there's often when you make a Disney movie, then one of the main songs from the movie, a famous artist will record it as well. Um, Michael Jackson was ready and willing to produce and perform versions of "Out There," "God Help the Outcasts," and or someday after meeting with Alan Menken, but Disney higher-ups vetoed this because of his questionable reputation at the time. Um, they didn't want their movie <laughs> to be overshadowed by controversy. Fair. Which is, yeah, reasonable. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Not do that. <laughs> All right, and now we'll... It's interesting that he reached out to them to try to do that. Yeah. I mean, why not? At this point, Disney's yeah. killing it. So he did try to buy Spider Man so he could star in it as Spider Man. <laughs> oh man, what an interesting guy! Yeah. So the cast, 
Esmeralda, Demi Moore. The only other Disney thing she's done is Hunchback 2. Um, Hugo is Jason Alexander. He has been in Fish Hooks, 101 Dalmatians 2, Patches London Adventure, The Legend of Tarzan, Hercules, Tidy, which is a short. This was the most fascinating thing I learned looking at the cast. So he's in this short called Tidy. It's spelled T-I-T-E-Y. And I'm like scrolling through his IMDb listing and I see this name and next to it a picture that looks like a boat. And I'm like, is that the Titanic? Yes. This is the description. A Saturday Night Live parody of a fictional Walt Disney film of the famous Titanic, Jason Alexander provides the voice for the ship and Whoopi Goldberg is the iceberg. <laughs> so I feel that like you have funny. to find that and watch it, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. He also did the Aladdin show in the Return of Jafar. <clears throat> uh, Quasimodo's mother was voiced by Mary Kay Bergman. We've talked about her before. She very tragically, um, died. We're not going to get into it again because it's very sad. Uh, she had very serious mental health issues. Uh, the guards and, as they call them in the movie, gypsies, voiced by Jim Cummings. The oafish guard... And I was certain of this as I was watching that this was this person's voice. Bill Fagerbackle, a.k.a. Patrick Starr. As soon as he spoke in the movie, I was like, yeah. that is Patrick. That's got to be Patrick. You, sure enough. Because he does the same voice. You think he's ugly now? Watch this. Yeah, it's the same voice. That's funny. Like, he obviously can do different voices, but it's Patrick's voice. So, yeah, totally. Which is very funny. He has also been in DuckTales. Kim Possible, Lloyd in Space, which I forgot existed, but I used to watch that show. Atlantis 2, Legend of Tarzan, Lady and the Tramp 2, Hercules, Zero to Hero, Timon and Pumbaa, and Hercules. So he's all over the place. Quasimodo, Tom Hulse, not in any other Disney movies or shows. Frollo, Tony J. He's in Mickey's Around the World in 80 Days, Jungle Book 2, Treasure Planet, Legend of Tarzan, Lloyd in Space, Recess, School's Out, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, Recess, Timon and Pumbaa, Mighty Ducks, Aladdin Show, Little Mermaid Show, Darkwing Duck, and Beauty and the Beast. They really and like... Tailspin. Oh, I must have missed that on the list. They really like Tony J. at Disney. Mm -hmm. I don't blame them. Well, he made a, a good, a good uh, modern interpretation of Shere Khan. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That voice. He could yeah, do a lot of good exactly. work. <laughs> he, uh, that, like, like, like I said, he, he's regal. Yeah. Is, His voice is one is way that you can definitely describe him. Yeah. Um, Clopin is voiced by Paul Candle, as I said before. He was in Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Uh, Victor, voiced by Charles Kimbrough. He's in Recess, Taking the Fifth Grade. Recess, School's Out. Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Recess, Hercules. Clearly, when I go through these lists, I'm going in reverse chronological order. Um, yeah. But yeah, Phoebus, voiced by Kevin Klein. He's in the live-action Beauty and the Beast. He's Maurice. The Old Heretic, Gary Truesdale. He's also in Atlantis and, Atlantis and Beauty and the Beast. Uh, the Archdeacon is David Ogden Steers. We've talked about him before. He's in a ton of movies, including Beauty and the Beast and Pocahontas. He's Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast. Um, Baby Bird and Dolly, Frank Welker, also talked about Frank Welker before, big voice. And Laverne, as we said, Mary Wicks, not in anything else though. That's it. That's all I got. All right. Uh, 
I have a uh, one or two other things. Uh, there's a fun moment in the in the movie where they were trying to name the horse for that that Phoebus had. Yes, <laughs> so good. and and literally Kevin Kline's just literally came up with the name. Just like, can we call it Ach- Achilles? Because I want to say Achilles heel. <laughs> oh, be super punny. I did see that somewhere. I didn't write that one down. So and, good. Yeah, just some of the puns that he had were just so great. Like. Uh, uh, saying to Jolly, like about Jolly, just like I didn't know you had a kid, because goat yeah. kid. <laughs> so good. It's funny. Um, so yeah, that that's a fun little fact. Uh, something else that I've learned recently is um, the original novel of Hunchback of Notre Dame. The um, the themes uh, that were presented in it initially was about the longevity and the necess- necessity. For preserving of architecture, hmm. of so then the um, initial novel was about all these characters have gone on and passed on, but Notre Dame is forever. Yeah, kind of deal, and that that's what the initial novel was was about. Mm-hmm. And but even so, um, Victor Hugo ended up changing it for a dramatization of it, for like a play version, and he changed it up a bunch to change the themes for the for the book, right. or from the book to the play. So it's just like, even even Hugo, kind of realized what was coming out of it mm-hmm. was was not the initial what he initially aimed for. Right. Yeah. That. So that was an interesting thing that I learned. Yeah, that reminds me of something else that I saw. Um, the popularity of this movie spiked when the fire at Notre Dame happened. A few years ago, a bunch of people watched it around. That's then. fair. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That was I mean, sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Notre Dame is, pro- I think, the most recognizable cathedral in the world. Probably. Probably. I mean, there's other ones like, I don't know what what's the British one. Westminster. Westminster Abbey. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think Notre Dame is more recognizable than that one and stuff. But, yeah. So, yeah, that's the the main little little facts that that I, I have offhand. Um, all right. So, we're going to move to our conclusion on this movie. So, uh, we're going to talk about our favorite musical moment. So, Sarah, what you got for us? Favorite musical moment? Like, the whole movie. <laughs> but I, <laughs> this time watching, really, really appreciated God Help the Outcast because I think it's a really, really pretty song. Um, I think all the music is just so good. My least favorite musical stuff is just Quasimodo's songs. Not not that I don't like them, just compared to everything else. Mm-hmm. But I, re- yeah. I sat there listening to God Help the Outcast and I was like, man, this is good. And next term in my the choir that I'm in, we're doing movie music. I'm like, we should do this. <laughs> that would be a really good song to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Brandon, favorite musical moment? Uh, I would say the Frollo villain song. Hellfire. Okay. Um, Hellfire, yeah. I don't necessarily like the content of it, but the song itself slaps. Yeah, it's good. Well, that's the thing. Like, you don't have to agree with the content, but appreciate what it's talking about. Yeah, the song's kind of like, like, 
Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a true villain song. Yeah. Oh, and that actually, I, I forgot to talk about, about the fact that Hellfire is has a perfect, like, juxtaposition of an earlier song right before it of, of what's called Heaven's Light. Yeah. Where it's Quasimodo singing and just, like, about, like, seeing, again, seeing her as an angel and then it literally transitions into Hellfire. Like, on my playlist, I, for Hell for Disney, I have Heaven's Light and Hellfire as one track. Yeah. Because it's just, it just works that way. Well, and the music calls back to the Bells of Notre Dame, too, which is cool. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, then we're going to round out this musical moment because I have a different one. I absolutely love Out There. Mm. Just the vocal ranges and the, the lyrics of it are just so great and I, but again it's just it's mostly just the vocals of it it's just tom hulse just kills it with that one that's so that one's my favorite oh and a special shout out to the credit song of some someday uh performed by um what was it all for one which was a really nice a really cool boy um i guess boy band is men's vocal group hmm. i don't know not yeah not quite a boy band not not quite the same as nsync or backstreet boys of that time they were very different <laughs> um okay so uh least favorite moment uh sarah when he sniffs her i don't like mm. that it makes me feel very It's very cringe. Yeah, especially, like, being a woman who has had unwanted male attention. Not that, obviously, men can't experience Not that Not at that level. Well, but, yeah. like, it just... It, <laughs> but still, yeah. Oh, oh, I hate it so much. Like, you, you can't do mm. that to people. It's very, very, very gross. So, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely something. All right, Brandon, what is your least favorite moment? Uh, I would say the festival of fuels. <laughs> um, <laughs> not even, not even because he gets like tied down and bullied. Like that was bound to happen anyway. But like the festival itself is just so dumb. Like, what kind of festival is this? Who crowns a king of the ugliest person in the city? And what kind of person would be proud of that after? Like, I don't know. I don't understand that festival. It's the stupidest thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there... I, I understand. was just like their context of it is like everything is topsy-turvy, upside down. So it's just like... Every day, like this, the king and the like, the fool's a king and the king king's a fool, kind of. So kind of doing things backwards, and everything is intentionally backwards. Hmm. On just the one day, and just kind of get their weirdness out. I don't know, but that's uh, but that's a understandable uh, uh, view of it. Yeah. Um. My least favorite has to be probably some of the gargoyle sequences like like brandon says it is it is a very fair critique of this film that they the comedy of them doesn't really mesh 
really well. Like they're they they could have comedy, but the bickering and the Jason Alexanderiness mm. of it, just like I don't know. Like the other comedy in the film really does work. Like the wittiness of of Phoebus, or even the the sardonic humor that Frollo even exhibits. Mm. Cause he he does have like Frollo does seem to have some kind of funny bones in himself. Like I'm sure you will whip my men into shape. Mm. Ah! Uh, but yeah, the gargoyles, yeah, don't really hit as hard. Uh, f- favorite moment of this film, Sarah. I think just the music overall is my favorite. I just really, really love the music in this movie. It's so good. Like, now mm-hmm. that we've been talking about it for the past hour and a half, I want to go listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, in in my Disney playlist, I have not just the songs, I have the score in my Disney playlist. It's so good. Like, there's different parts of the score. It's just, like, the score. It just hits. Alan Menken. And all, like, the, the oh. scores, just, like, you throw in the chants with the score. Yeah. It just works. Alan Menken is a freaking genius. <laughs> really? I mean, like, who the heck thinks about, like, like having in a kid's movie, gr- like, these chants and stuff? It's just, like, and it works! Yeah. All right, so, Brandon, your favorite moment. Um, good night, everybody. Woohoo! That's my favorite moment. That that like the post credit thing? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> I laughed. I <laughs> thought it was funny. Yeah, it's almost it's sudden and burst in there and it's even more more wacky than the Ferris Bueller one. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's just nice and short. Good night everybody. Mm-hmm. Woohoo, and it's done. <laughs> Interesting. Um my favorite moment would have to be like Quasimodo's breaking of the chains. It's just, and then like the whole atmosphere of the moment where he's like jumps down, like jumps or leaps from Notre Dame with a rope and swings down and and gra- and into the fire and grabs her and then goes and climbs all the way up is just all of it just works. Yeah, in that moment. It doesn't help that she decided to take a nap while he did that. (laughs) She's like, oh, he's got me now. I'm just going to sleep and not do anything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to our final thoughts and a letter grade. Uh, Sarah? I'm going to give it an A. I think it's very good. The story's good. The music's good. The characters are interesting. Um, not quite an A+, because it's not perfect, but I do really like mm-hmm. it. I'm glad doing this podcast that it made me rewatch it, because I haven't... I mean, I like I said, I've prob- I probably rewatched it in the last few years, because I watched all the classics with Daisy um, when she was a baby, but it was nice to come back to it, because it's not one that I, like you said, like it's not one I just go to, but it's good, so, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, uh, Brandon. Final thoughts in the letter grade. Um, I think it's a decent movie overall. Like to just sit and watch, like it holds your attention. Um, 
its animation is a clear step up from Pocahontas, which I think is good. Uh, the music was really good. I enjoyed a few of the songs. Uh... I, I feel like, again, like I, it's just a poor representation of the Romani people, but Disney has, like, a terrible trend of that. I'm not sure how long this continues, but uh, that's the thing. And I, I just think everything was overly sexualized. Like, I don't think a children's movie needed to be so sexually charged. Um, yeah. Because a, a lot of the plot revolved around one of these three guys getting their rocks off eventually, and it was just weird for a children's movie. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like it's trying to be a movie for adults, like a a children's movie for adults, but it kind of like fails in that. And it's just like a little too smart for children, but not quite good enough for adults. Um, at least like personal opinion, obviously. Um, overall, like generally, I think the movie wants to be about these like really deep themes and like. It wants to be about treating people better and it wants to be about like political and like religious stuff. In reality, this movie is just about three white dudes that want to bang a gypsy, which again is a derogatory term that the film uses repeatedly through the movie. Um, I think it's entertaining, but not great. I gave it a C plus. That's decent. I don't think I need to say a lot of my final thoughts on this film. <laughs> yeah, we know how um, you feel. Yeah. yeah. I assume so you give it I'm an A+. Gonna... Plus. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm definitely giving it an A+. Plus. Like, I know that there's there's parts of it that are flawed, but the other parts that are just so utterly and completely spectacular just pushes it way up there for yeah. me. Um, yeah, I'm not really going to go further into depth of my opinions of and thoughts on Hunchback, because I think we've heard enough of those. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So, um, now I have to ask Brandon a, a, a question. Are you a Disney fan yet? This is one of the better films, but no. <laughs> Would you consider rewatching this one on your own? No. No? No. Okay. That's an interesting I think it was question. Like, I think it was like a decent, decent movie. But like if I, if someone like put me in a room with a box full of Disney VHSs or something was like, this was your entertainment for the month. Hunchback would probably still be one of the last movies I grab. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, you just broke my heart a little bit. <laughs> I want to know, of the ones we've covered so far, which one would you grab? Would it be Toy Story? Um, He would go towards the Pixars first. Yeah, it would probably be Toy Story of what we've got so far. Uh, Or Mm -hmm. Toy Story 2, one of those two, probably. Yeah. Um, I also really like The Lion King, actually. That would probably Mm. be my go so Mm -hmm. far, to be honest, yeah. It is a very good movie. Probably The Lion King. Yeah. All right. And Sarah, where can our loyal fans hear, hear or see us and all reach us? You can find us on Instagram at makingadisneyfan.pod. DM us, comment, like, share us to your stories. I don't know, all the things. 
and you can listen to us on apple podcasts on spotify and we like to hear your reviews or see your reviews and get your ratings so please do all of the things (laughs) all right that has been making a disney fan podcast i have been zach ttfn tata for now I've been Brandon. Until next time, America. And I'm Sarah. Just keep swimming. All of our artwork is created by Becca Riley. You can go find her on Instagram at Becca Riley Art, spelled B-E-C-C-A-R-E-I-L-L-Y Art. Our theme song was written and performed by Marcus Beveridge. You can listen to more of his music on Instagram at Marcus.and.Sarah.Music, performing alongside me, your favorite Making a Disney fan lady. We hope you'll come back for our next episode soon. No, I haven't finished my list yet. <laughs> you gotta let me get through. Thank you for listening to Making a Disney Fan. We hope to see you next time. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow.